church, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to John, the Gospel of John, chapter number one. John, chapter number one. A little bit of a just intro and background and uh, just to kind of let you know what's happening for the series that we started last week. Uh, it's called This Is Us. Obviously, you can read. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but it's like... It means we're going to spend the next several weeks talking about what God wants our church, First Baptist Church, South Hilla, to be. As a matter of fact, if you were here last week, who are we? All right, good. There's a couple of you, right? Uh, if you missed it, we did a little chant to kind of describe who we are, although I guess there's no description to it. It's just, who are we, FBC, right? So you don't have to say that every time I say it, by the way. I apologize. Uh, last week, every time I was just making a point with it, there was always a few who responded back, FBC. So at least you were getting it, right? Uh, I'm, I'm glad that was the case. Last week, we kind of looked at uh, the, the Great Commission for Matthew 28, and from the very words of Jesus, we shared our mission as a church. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a pretty simple phrase. You might see it on the screen in just a moment, but it's simply this. We here at First Baptist, we exist to glorify God by making disciples in Saltilla and throughout the world. Pretty basic, right? You say, Danny, where does this come from? This comes directly from the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Also when he says it in Mark. Also when he says it in Luke. Also when he says it in John. Also when he says it in Acts. All of this comes directly from the words of Jesus. He wants us to make disciples, and that is certainly our goal here at First Baptist. Now listen, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen or go back and watch. Now I don't typically do that. I'm not asking you to go watch me or listen to me because I'm the greatest. But why I am encouraging you to do this, for this series, we are really looking at the foundations of who we are as a church. So if you're a member here, that's pretty important to you. Or if you're considering being a member here and partnering with us for ministry for years to come, it would probably be pretty important for you to know exactly and what we are about. This statement is the foundation of who we want to be as the local church here in our community. And really not just who we want to be, it's who we have to be. We have to be people, disciples everywhere. Now, all right, Danny, we heard all about that last week, or if you didn't, you can go back and hear it. I'm not trying to repeat it because trust me, I got plenty of other things to say this morning. But I do present it to you just by way of reminder because knowing that we need to make disciples makes us begin to wrestle with some other questions that are equally important. In other words, what is a disciple and how do we make them? Like Danny, obviously our goal is to make disciples, but what and how? Now for me, without a strategy, without a plan, do we expect disciples to be made? Will they just pop up from the ground on their own? Now listen, those of you who have been in church for the you would just automatically know how church works and how things happen and where you need to go next and how you can plug in and how you can grow in your faith. Maybe for you that was normal, that was natural, that's how you were raised. But I don't know if you've noticed the world around us, it's changing. Less and less, fewer and fewer people are growing up in church homes, 
growing up in a church, knowing what it means to come to worship, to read your Bible, to uh, give, to serve, to love, to go. Like less and less people are understanding what Jesus meant when he said, be the church. So you say, Danny, why is that important for us? Because we need a strategy. We need a plan where we can help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus and begin to follow him for the rest of their lives. We need intentional disciple-making strategies. Just like anything else, disciples don't just pop up out of the ground on their own. Now you say, Danny, what do you mean? We don't apply that thing else in our lives. Let me give you a couple of examples. I want to lose some weight. Now, that's not really a statement for me, even though you may be thinking it. I'm just putting it out there. I want to lose some weight. It's happened on its own. Maybe if I think about it enough, I'll lose some pounds. I wish that was the case. But here's what we know. Of course not. That's not going to make a difference. Or I want to build a house. Maybe if I want it bad enough, you can ask Marshall about that later, by the way. Maybe if I want it to happen on its own. What you think, Mojo? Does it just happen? Nah, not really. Miss Teresa's been thinking about it for a long time, right? Doesn't just happen. Of course not. We don't apply that kind of thinking to anything in our lives. Clean up that room or that shop. Maybe if I just hope deep enough, I'll walk in there and some magic fairy elves will just have cleaned everything and it will happen automatically. Of course not. You say, Danny, you're being kind of silly. I agree. But I don't know if you see the connection here. It seems like churches have been doing this type of thinking for years. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We assume people will become more like Jesus just by thinking for it. If we want anything to progress from where it is to where it needs to be, there needs to be a plan, a goal, a strategy in order to get there. Ron Bennett, in his book, Intentional Disciple Making, wrote these words. He wrote, disciples are, in other words, unlike weeds, disciples don't just happen. How many of you got those weeds all around your house that just somehow keep happening, right? No matter what you do. Unfortunately, disciples are not like that. Rather, they sprout out in individuals and communities focus on developing spiritual maturity the way Jesus intended, by closely following him in every part of life. There's a tourist attraction in California that really paints a picture of the need for strategy and planning. Here's a picture of the house. It's pretty magnificent, isn't it? In 1884, a wealthy widow named Sarah L. Winchester, by the way, the Winchester rifle fortune, this lady, Miss Sarah, she began a 38-year construction project guided by a superstitious fear. Evidently, Mrs. Winchester was convinced by the evil spirits of those who lived in the house. And if she would keep doing it, not only would it appease the evil spirits, but it would help her attain eternal life. So here's what Miss Sarah did. She kept carpenters' hammers hours a day. The Victorian mansion came to be known as the Winchester Mystery House. You can go there today. Matter of fact, I looked at their website this week. They're taking appointments if you would like to go visit this incredible home. Now, though it has 160 rooms, three elevators, 40 staircases, and 47 fireplaces, its size alone does not account for the architectural marvel that it does is the bizarre 
purposelessness of the design. Stairs lead into the ceiling, windows decorate the floor, and doors open into blank walls. Random features and expense from all of the exquisite floors to the Tiffany art glass windows, busyness, not blueprints, defined success. This is an accurate picture of what a church looks like in the absence of vision, strategy, direction. There's lots of activity with little progress or little purpose. Now listen, you're looking at the picture. This is a magnificent house. There's obviously been a lot of work put in it and it's a a, a marvel to see. People come from all around to look at this house. However, it doesn't matter if there's no purpose or no direction. You say, Danny, what do you mean? A beautiful church with great facilities and incredible staff and worship environments is awesome. And we certainly want that. It's a marvel to see. But does any of that matter if we aren't helping people become disciples who make disciples? Is any of that worth seeing if we're missing the big picture? Greg Ogden, he's a discipleship guru. He he wrote these words. He said, unless we see the gap between current reality and our desired destination, we won't be able to assess what it will take to get there. The repeated lament I hear is that we are much better at conversion than we are at transformation of these converts into disciples of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Seeing people come to faith in Jesus is incredible. I can't stress enough how much we want to see people meet Jesus and go from death to life. But what about at home? Do we just leave them and say, good luck, our job is done? I shared this with my Sunday school class this morning. I told them they were going to hear a repeat. You know what this would be like? This would be the equivalent to carrying out your newborn baby out of the hospital and setting them on side of the road and calling a taxi, giving them a couple of bucks and saying, hey, good luck, hope you make it for the rest of your life. Now that's silly, right? You say, Danny, you'll go to jail for that. I agree, don't do that. But how often is that what we do in churches with people who give their lives to Jesus? They've just been born again, and we leave them on their own with no plan, no goal, no strategy of how they will mature into a follower. Babies, I don't think we need to do it with disciples of Jesus either. So, how do we take someone who doesn't know Jesus and help them become disciples who make disciples? Well, friends, that's what the next several weeks is about together. As We're going to look at a strategy together of how we can all get on the same page, not only collectively, but also personally on how I can impact the world and be a disciple who makes disciples. How going to accomplish the Great Commission? Jesus is clear. We need to be going. We need to be baptizing. We need to be teaching. But how do we do back then what he was talking about right now? Well, I want to just give you a small picture of it, and then we're going to look at it one by one for the next several weeks. But here it is. Here's the grand scheme of things for our church. We exist. You've already seen this. To glorify God by making disciples in Saltilla and throughout the world. Okay, Danny, got it. But how? Here's how. By leading people 
to follow Jesus, grow together, serve others, and multiply disciples. These four phrases are four pieces to a strategy for making disciples. Now, I've already spent too much time just building to this moment, so let's jump into it. The first phrase, follow Jesus. How does that build into a strategy that will make disciples who make disciples? Well, to be honest with you, the best place to go for this understanding are the first people who started following Jesus in the first place. Now, there are several accounts all throughout the Gospels of when the earliest disciples encountered Jesus and what it looked like for them them to begin following. It's interesting to notice the progression of Jesus's encounter with some of those early disciples. I want you to see it with me this morning. John chapter one, I'm going to start reading in verse number 35. Here is what John records for us. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, following Jesus in this moment, not as a relational commitment, but literally they saw Jesus and started going in the same direction he was going, right? Like almost stalkerish kind of in this moment, okay? So Jesus sees them in the stalkerish kind of moment, and he says, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means Teacher, where are you staying? They are interested in knowing some things about Jesus. He said to them, this is Jesus, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. It was about the 10th hour. Now I want to pause here because I want to show you something that I think is looks like to follow Jesus. Two of Jesus's early disciples were actually following someone else before Jesus. They were following John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, of course, is an important figure in the New Testament. He's been tasked with paving the way for the Messiah. His purpose is to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. They've been looking for this. Years. And so John says, here he is, right? It's clear that Jesus is the Lamb of God, which would come and take away the sins of the world. So John's followers do naturally what John would have wanted them to do. They begin to follow Jesus instead of John. Now, what I find most interesting is Jesus's question when he notices them. I've got a few stalkers behind me. I need to address the situation that's taking place. No, Jesus knew what was happening. But he asked him this question, what are you seeking? Now, for me, I like to call this the before a disciple time. This is what's happening with the first followers of Jesus. They haven't made any commitments yet. They're not really sure what's happening yet. They know there's something different. They know they're looking for something more. They think it could possibly be Jesus. They start seeking after him. Now, this should not surprise us or be something unique to us because all of us can remember this type of moment, see, searching for something more in this life. Either we remember it before Jesus or we're there right now in our lives. We know there's something more to this life. What is that more? Or maybe, who is that more? For those of us who are following Jesus, we can think to how our commitment to Jesus, that decision to give our lives to him, really started well before we actually made the decision. It started when we began to search, seek, something beyond ourselves. We start 
to look for something more than this world has to offer. Matter of fact, I was having a conversation with Corey just this week in the office. This is what I've always heard called the God-shaped hole that all of us have in our lives. You ever heard that before? We all have a God-shaped hole that exists in our lives. This comes from uh, familiar phrases like the one from King Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 when he wrote these words, God has put eternity into man's heart. You say, what do you mean? We all have a void that's missing in our lives that's been caused by sin. And we all long for a relationship with God, the one who made us. Yet, sin has broken that relationship and we long to have it back. Now, we don't know that that's Jesus, right? When we're in the lostness state, when we don't, before a disciple of Jesus' time, our minds have been clouded. Our eyes have been closed. The devil himself has authority over us, and sin covers all we know. We know there's something else, but we may not know what it is. So we seek to find completion. We seek to fill the void with all sorts of things in our life. I remember this. This could be a relationship. This could be success or a job or work. This could be hobbies. This could be addictions. You can fill in the blank with anything that applies to your life now or did apply to your life before Jesus. We continue to seek to fill a void that only God fills. This is where we find these early disciples. They are seeking something more because they know there's more to this life. I remember these days. I remember the hobbies that I thought would bring my life meaning. I remember the relationships that I thought would complete my longings. I remember the addictions that tried to convince me that they would fulfill me, but none of them ever did. I just continued to seek something more. I continued to seek something that those things could never offer. Can I tell you something, friends? This also happened with church for me. I thought church could fill that void. I remember thinking religion could fulfill my desire. So I went to church. I read my Bible. I met with other uh, people who talked about Jesus. I went to youth group. I volunteered to help in different areas. I was seeking. All of this was happening in what I like to call the before a disciple time. They thought John the Baptist could do it, but he couldn't. So just like many people in the world, myself included, I didn't find it in any of those things either. Every believer in this room can relate to this. Even if you were young and can't remember it as well, or even if you're not one of those people who did a lot of bad things before you became a Christian, you can still remember your soul longing for something more than what you knew. And here's what I was, I was, I was reading through this and I thought, how many people are going to be in this room this morning that are right there in that moment? You'd say, Danny, I'm in the before a disciple kind of stage. I'm not sure yet about Jesus. I haven't really given my life to him. I'm not really sure what to do next, but I know there's something better. I know there's something more. I know, I, I know there's got to be. This can't be it. Well, here's what I would tell you. Don't forget what Jesus says to them next. They're seeking for something, and Jesus says, what is it that you're seeking for? And they say a couple phrases, right? And then Jesus makes a statement that is beautiful, that he made to them then, and he's still making to people today. He said, come and you will see. He's issuing the same invitation for our investigation just like he did then. He says, listen, I know what you're looking for. I know what you're seeking. You ain't going to find it anywhere else. You know where you're going to find it? You're going to find it in me. 
Come and you will see. I wonder who in this room this morning needs to hear that type of invitation. You've been looking for everything that you possibly can. You've been trying to fill a void that nothing could fill except for God. And yet the entire time, he's offering the invitation to fill the void. If you will come and see. Isn't it beautiful? Especially those who are following Jesus now. You remember that time? You remember what it was like when you didn't know what to do or where to turn, and you met Jesus, and everything changed. He's the peace you're missing. He's the void. I love how the psalm writer put it in Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Come to Jesus. He will satisfy your seeking. He will satisfy your searching. But watch this. We got we to go hyperspeed, by the way. He keeps going, right? This isn't the end of this encounter with Jesus. Look at verse 40, John chapter 1. Jesus tells them, you know, come and see. And so they did. It was getting a little late, about the 10th hour, and they stayed with Jesus. And one of the two, this is verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And look at what he did. He brought him to Jesus. You know what's happening here? It's another come and see kind of moment. And Jesus looked at him and said, he's looking at Peter, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. There it is, a claim again. Same thing Andrew did. We found him, come and see. Philip does the same thing. Hey, Nathanael, we found him, come and see. And so Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. See, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Israel. Now listen, there is so much happening in this moment. There's so much that we could focus on, but don't miss the progression. What started as the before a disciple time has now moved to the becoming a disciple time. This is the time that I like to call becoming a disciple. Andrew told Peter, we found the Messiah. Philip told Nathaniel, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Even Nathaniel, once he meets Jesus, says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, I love this moment in this encounter. What began with coming to Jesus has quickly moved to a confession of Jesus. They were seeking and searching, which quickly moved to seeing, which quickly moved to surrendering. Now, here's what I want you to notice. This is so important. When Jesus calls them to follow him, it was not measured by their attendance in church services. It was not measured with their role in a Sunday school class. It was not measured with a prayer that they said or a card that they filled out or an aisle that they walked down. Do you say, Danny, is all that invalid? No. But I want you to notice, he never said any of those things. 
Here's what he said, follow me. And here's what they did. Yes, I'll follow you. They went with Jesus. Here's the becoming a disciple moment. It's not simply about some time back in the day. It's a direction where you said with your life, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want the old life. I'm done seeking and searching. I'm done trying to fill the emptiness and the void in my life with anything else. I found it. His name is Jesus. He is the king of my life, and I will follow him. This is the becoming a disciple moment. This is the moment when they surrendered all of what they were and turned from the old life and began to follow after Jesus. Now listen, one of my favorite moments where this happens is in the early church in Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to read the account to you. Number one, it's long, and number two, it's already after 11 o'clock. But here's what I will tell you. Peter's preaching to a whole bunch of people who are seeking something more. You know what he did when he saw those people? He preached Jesus, the one who died for the sins of the world so that we could be made right with God. And so Peter said this in Acts chapter 2. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's telling them that Jesus is the one they need. He's telling us Jesus is the one that we need. But listen to what they say back to him after he preaches about Jesus. It says they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Now listen, he didn't say you had to come and stand before a church. He didn't say you had to fill out a card. He didn't say repeat this prayer after me. Not that that's wrong, but here's what he said. Hey, you know that old life that was nothing for you? Turn from that. Repent from your old life and sin that you once lived in and be identified, be baptized. That old life needs to die so that you can be raised up to a new life. You now have a new king. You now have a new Lord. You now have a new way. That way is Jesus, not yours. Start living after him. That's the change, right? That's the becoming moment when you remember that was the day I started going a different direction than what I ever did. Paul relates that moment like this in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If he becomes your Lord, if he becomes your Savior, he will save you. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's hard to imagine someone coming to Jesus and leaving without confessing. It's hard to imagine someone seeking, someone seeing, and not surrendering. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's hard to imagine that it happens very often. But maybe, maybe we don't see as many people move from before a disciple to becoming a disciple is because we are not like Andrew and Philip. You say, Danny, what do you mean? We don't do what they did. We don't find people who are seeking and invite them to come and see. 
Now don't miss this in the encounter. Jesus is not the only one inviting people who are seeking to come and see. Andrew invites his brother Peter. Philip invites his friend Nathaniel. Who do we have around us that might be in the before a disciple time that we should be inviting to come and see Jesus? Once we've met Jesus, once we've been found, we should be finding others. I've heard it put like this before. Found people will find people. Who are you helping to follow Jesus? This is what we want, by the way, as a church. This is what we want as individuals. We can't be disciples of Jesus if we've never surrendered our lives to him in the first place. Our entire disciple-making strategy fails if people don't give their lives to Christ. This is why the first phrase is follow Jesus. But I want you to see something. It's bigger than this one time of surrendering your life to Christ. This is simply the beginning. You may get tired of hearing me say that, but I promise you I never will stop saying it. Salvation is not just a one-moment thing. It carries on into eternity. It never ends. You've been saved, are being saved, will be saved. It's all about Jesus and his work on our behalf. This is why when we surrender our lives to him, it's not the end, it's the beginning. And Jesus shows us this. Look back, John chapter 1. Look at verse 50. This is right after Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He is now following after Jesus. And look at what Jesus says to him. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Listen, this is a great moment in the progression. Jesus is letting Nathaniel know, I'm glad that you believe since I called you out. You should not be surprised that back when you were 10 years old, 11 years old, 15, 25, whatever that day was, Jesus saw you right where you were, like Nathaniel, under that fig tree, and he called you from death to life. Nathaniel goes, I want that. You're the king of kings. And Jesus says, of course you believe because I called you out. He's not surprised by that. When he calls us out, what else are we going to do? He's the king. Here's what he's telling us. He's saying, I'm glad you believe because of that fig tree moment. But this moment isn't all there is. I'm glad you've moved from the before a disciple time to a becoming a disciple time. But here's what Jesus is telling him. I have more in store. He's talking about what I like to call the being a disciple time. He's talking about the lifelong journey of following him forever. He tells him, this moment was great. Your life has been changed. You've started to follow me. But Nathaniel, don't miss it. This isn't the end, it's the beginning. He says, you will see greater things than this. You know what he's saying to us as followers of him? He's saying you will see greater things than simply the moment that you surrendered your life to me. You see, the seeking becomes seeing, and the seeing becomes surrendering, and the surrendering continues more and more and more forever. The invitation that Jesus gave to these early disciples when he said, follow me, it wasn't about a one-time decision. They would be walking with Jesus forever. It began with them literally walking with Jesus and living life with a physical Jesus by their sides. 
However, when Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, they were left with carrying his mission without his physical presence. By the way, that's us today. That's why the mission is so important. He's left us here to make disciples who make disciples. That's why we want to glorify God by making disciples in Sotilla and throughout the world. And disciples are people who follow Jesus every day. They are people who have moved from a before a disciple to a becoming a disciple to being a disciple. Let me ask you something, friends. Are you following Jesus? Has that happened for you? You didn't know him, but you were seeking. He showed you exactly what you were looking for, and you became a disciple. And now you would say, Danny, my life is about following him. My life is about learning more about him so I could live more for him. My life is a continual state of following after Jesus and becoming more like him every day. Now, here's what I know people are thinking in the room. You say, Danny, I've heard a million times that I need to follow Jesus. Danny, I've heard a million times a preacher get up and beg people to give their lives to Christ. I already gave my life to Christ, Danny. Why do you keep asking me to give my life to Christ when I've already given my life to Christ? Well, Fred, you're missing it if you think this encounter is just for lost people. Friends, you're missing it if you think the gospel is just for people who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for every person, whether they're lost or they're saved, because Jesus is for every person. You don't get saved, and then you don't need Jesus anymore. As a matter of fact, you get saved, and you realize you need more and more of Jesus every single day. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? As I process through this encounter, here's what I was left with. I was left with, though this was the first disciples following Jesus, I discovered that Jesus was speaking to me as much, if not more, than any lost person in the world today. You say, Danny, what do you mean? I'm already a follower of Jesus. I know this may sound a little confusing at first, but I'm not asking if you're a follower of Jesus, as in you've given your life to him. I'm asking if you are following Jesus right now. You see the seeking that they did, the seeking that we did before we were Christians, that seeking still hasn't left us. Now listen, we're not seeking for salvation. We've met Jesus, but we are seeking every day to become more and more like him. I don't know about you, friends, but before I met Jesus, I did a lot less seeking than what I do now because now I get in this book and here's what I discover. I am not like this and I seek after how I can be, and I seek after his word so I can seek after his ways. And you know what happens when I do that? It's the same thing that happened for the disciples. He bids me the same invitation. He says, Danny, every day, I want you to come and see. Hey, Danny, now that you follow me, I still want you to come and see. You say, Danny, what are you coming and seeing? I'm coming and seeing the word so that I can live in his ways. And when I see it, you know what he shows me? I need to surrender to it. The same way that Jesus saved me, the same way I started following him, is the same way he invites me every morning to continue to follow him. Friends, Is that you? You say, Danny, nobody ever showed me how to follow Jesus. I'll be honest with you, Danny, somebody told me that if I just say a prayer after him, then that was it. And ever since then, I've just tried to be a good person. 
Well, can I invite you into something, friends? There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just coming to church on Sunday mornings. Now, listen, I want people to come to church on Sunday mornings, but there's so much more. You know what Jesus wanted Nathaniel to do? He wanted him to come to him, but he didn't leave him there. He said, Nathaniel, this is good. I'm glad you believe, but there's so much more. There are greater things. It's exactly what we want to help people with here at First Baptist. We want more than simply to know the truth. We want to follow the truth. You say, Danny, what does that look like? It looks like helping our people be in the Word every single day so that they can live in the ways of Jesus. When I'm in the Word, I can see His ways and I can live them. When I'm not, how can that ever happen? So you say, Danny, I don't even know where to start. I don't even have a Bible. You know what? We got a Bible for you. We'd love to give you one if you don't have one. Or you say, Danny, even if I had a Bible, I don't even know where to open up. I don't even know where to start. Well, you know what, friends? We got a Bible reading plan for you back there. We'd love to get you a little strategy together and show you how you can start spending some time in the Word. Well, you say, Danny, I don't even know what I'm reading or how to even process what's going on. Hey, friends, can I tell you something? I got a little process back there in the lobby. I'd love to take that and hand it to you, show you how you can spend some meaningful time with Jesus every single day. Well, you say, Danny, I struggle with that. We got some devotional material, help you get in the Word. If that's where you need to start, we can give you some of those as well. You say, Danny, I don't know what it's like being a new believer. I don't know that I've ever really been discipled. What do I do next? How do I learn how to pray? How do I, how do I learn how to give? How do I learn how to, how to serve? How do I know what to do next? Can I tell you something, friends? We got a new believers course that we're starting up. You know what? We'd love for you to join it so that we can help you know exactly what it looks like to follow after Jesus. You say, Danny, well, we want to be more connected in the church. Can I tell you something? We got some new member options for you and your family so you can get connected here and be able to serve. You say, Danny, well, I, don't, I, I got other people in my life. I want to be able to, I, I want to I get them here. I want to I invite them. Can I tell you something? We got some simple little cards you can use. Invite people to come and see exactly what Jesus is doing. Can I tell you something? We can't continue to hope that people will naturally follow Jesus without a strategy or without a plan to help them. We can't hope that they will naturally follow Jesus without any of those things. We want to make disciples here and throughout the world, and that begins with following Jesus. Are you, friends? Would you say, Danny, that's me. I'm seeking Jesus every day, and he's showing me things that I need to see so that I can surrender more of my life to him, and I'm walking in obedience to Jesus. I'm not saying perfectly, but you say, Danny, that's where I am. Well, then can I tell you something? Maybe your next step is finding someone else who needs to learn from you so that they can be doing the same thing. Who has God put in your circle so that you can help lead to follow Jesus? Or you might be here this morning and you say, Danny, I don't even know where to begin. I, I, I know Jesus has done what you've said, but what do, I, what do I do? How do I give my life to him? Listen, friend, I'd love to meet you in the lobby in just a few moments and tell you how you can give your life to Jesus and begin your journey of following him from now or forever. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, Danny, I got saved back in 19, whatever, and it was at a VBS, and I don't even remember half of it, and I've just been trying to do the best that I can can ever since. Well, can I tell you something? He wants you to follow him every day. Do you need to make some commitments to spend meaningful time with Jesus in his word, in worship, so that you can walk in his ways? I don't know what that looks like for everybody in the room, but here's what I do know. As a church, I am tired of just hoping that people will run into this building so that they can start having a relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, listen, shh. Do you hear it? 
Do you hear anybody knocking at any of these doors? Listen, shh. They're not trying to get in here. They're out there. I'm tired of hoping they will get in here. I'm tired of hoping people will meet Jesus. I'm tired of hoping they will grow like the weeds in my front yard. Something needs to change. You say, Danny, what is it? The people of God need to start following his ways. That's what needs to happen. What about you, friend? How are you following Jesus? You say, Danny, I thought it just meant you know, being nice. Well, I mean, that's good. I'm glad you are. <laughs> or at least you think you are. But so much more than that. He has given you everything that you need so that you can know, not guess, not hope, not think. You can know what he desires and you can, more importantly, you ready? Do it. Are you ready for that, friend? You say, Danny, I hadn't been doing any of that. I'd love to help you. Danny, I got people that need some help with that. Bring them to me. I'd love to help them. You can help them. You said, I need to give my life to Jesus. We can help you with that. Let's start following Jesus today. And when we seek him and we see him, let's surrender to him and actually live the way he tells us to live. I'm done with hoping. He's given us a plan. What if we would follow Jesus? Listen, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you need to do. I don't know what your next step is. I don't know. But I know that when his word is preached, it demands a response from us. And the same way his first disciples followed him is the same way that I want to follow him. You know what they did? They surrendered their lives. They learned his ways and they began to live it. Hey, what if we did that same thing? Right? I wanna do it too, let's do it together. Father, we love you, thank you. Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you so much for our time together today in your word. Father, thank you.